Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. I think you know by now, maybe you don't, that our goal is to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians, most of the time by helping the two professions to better understand each other, work together with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. This episode's going to focus more on the HVAC trade. What do we do with our time? What did I do with my time in the last week? The Bangles, one of my favorite bands, said it best. Time, time, time. See what's become of me while I look around for my possibilities. Well, in this episode, I'm joined by Eric Kaiser, and we look for possibilities and share observations on products, events, and interesting people we engaged with during our four-day excursion at the AHR Expo in Atlanta, Georgia, in early February 2023. You'll get to hear Eric and I go on and on about different topics. All this was unscripted, but it was fun. I do mention a bunch of topics like the Expo itself, the Subco and Diversitech Trade Fox and Trade Invent applications and processes, the ASHRAE Standard 221, several products from Refco and Sourman and JB Industries. Well, you'll find all the links to these products and the resources and the standards and everything all in the show notes. So you got some things to dig into if something piques your interest. Let's get on to the conversation with Eric and I sharing our recap of the 2023 HR Expo. Hey, welcome everybody to Building HVC Science Podcast and my guest here, Eric Kaiser. Eric's been working with True Tech for about six months or so, and now we're going to formalize that relationship, right, Eric? We're definitely taking it to the next step, I think. Okay, great. And Eric and I wanted to share with y'all listening to today, to this podcast, this will be a little bit dated, but it's our observations on the AHR conference in 2023, which for all of us ran from Sunday to Wednesday. Just like a little bit of background on it, HR has been going on, I think, since the mid or late 30s. It's been called different things. Sometimes it was called the ASHRAE show because it was definitely supported by the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. And they always have their winter annual meeting coincident or overlapping at least part of that. And I'll talk a little bit about the committee meeting that I attended. I'll be joining my first ASHRAE committee. I've joined others, but it'll be my first ASHRAE. So it's a lot of old timers like myself still call it the ASHRAE show. You'll still hear that. I've heard it called that. I may have called it that once or twice myself because, yeah, their winter conference always coincides with that. It happens typically, what, two or three days beforehand, and then there's a little bit during the actual AHR show. Right. It's because the people involved attend both the trade show and the technical committees. Let me throw something at you here real quick, Bill. For anybody listening, what is ASHRAE in case they don't know what that is? It's an international organization. I'm not reading from anything, but this is my presumption because I'm a member. That's an international organization of air conditioning, heating, refrigeration, cooling, engineers that largely write standards and give white papers and presentations and pull together the world's best information so that it can be reused for the public good in the built environment. I think that probably is in their mission statement, built environment. And really focusing on the indoor condition spaces more than anything else and indoor health and things like that through those systems that condition the spaces. Yeah. Like I know as a member, 
I get access to either digital or actually paper-bound ASHRAE handbooks, which are like the world's best thinking on a piece of subject matter that's related to this topic we're talking about. And it's also my understanding, I think this is, maybe you could support this, Eric, or deny it, that like the ECA manuals actually are an application of the ASHRAE handbooks in a format that's more suitable for use in low-rise residential. Not having really read through a lot of the ASHRAE handbooks, I've looked at a few of them, but I'm going to be honest, some of that reading gets really, really dry. Yeah. And even some of the ACA manuals can be really, really dry, but they are a lot more condensed and in some ways understandable. They try to simplify as much as possible a very complex subject when we think about the just buildings and structures and everything that goes into that it suddenly becomes very complex and i was contemplating that recently as i'm in the process of building out an office for myself in a, a little video studio for some work we're going to be doing coming up just going through the process of that and looking at all the different ways that air can move in through the walls and in the structures in a small office space and try to scale that up into a building kind of opens my eyes a little bit more and makes me think about some things differently. Absolutely. And hopscotching onto a topic I wanted to talk about in relation to the committee work, I'll just throw this out there. At the end of last week, I sent this message to Brian Orr. Throughout the week at AHR, I noticed so many contractors are having their voices listened to and their opinions heard. The work done by you, Brian, and your efforts over the last few years are the largest single force I can identify behind this change. You're making a better world. Be proud. And I say that right now at this moment because that's the way I feel. That's why I felt at that time. That's why I sent it to him. But going back to that ASHRAE committee work, I sat on the ASHRAE 221 committee, which is about the field rating of HVAC performance. It's a standard that was started by NCI with a lot of help from the late Rob Falk. Now it's being pushed forward by Ben Lipscomb, who's with NCI. But all that aside, great standard and everything, but Chris Hughes was sitting at the table in the standard meeting, a contractor sharing his voice and some important thoughts about this standard that I think would have been glossed over if he weren't present. So that was one of the moments that had me sending that message to Brian. Well, that's fantastic. And I mean, Brian has really done a great job. And I know sometimes he doesn't like people tooting his horn too much, but I feel we have to do it once in a while. Oh, I wish I had one of those bicycle horns right now. Wah, wah. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. Honk, honk. There you go, Brian. If you ever listen to this, does he listen to the podcast? We're going to find out, aren't we? I guess we are. Yeah. But yes, you're right. I have seen, and I've seen this happening more and more over, and let's see, I've been going to AHR since 2007-ish. I don't know if I met you at the first AHR. I think we met at that symposium at Jim's school in 2006. That's the date I have in my mind. Yeah. So that would probably would be accurate. We met in 2006-ish when we had a symposium from the now defunct, what was that, HVAC ProTech forums? Yes. Online. And Jim Bergman hosted that when he was teaching at a trade school. That was a high school level. It was a career center with, I think, like nine school districts feeding in 
to mechanics, cosmetology, all kinds of careers, HVAC, electrical. Nice. So yeah, that's when I started going to HRs, I think was 2007 probably, which was the first or the following year after that symposium and met a lot of really great people, but you're absolutely right. The contractors, even at that point, were not really being paid much attention to. It was almost like some of the manufacturers and the engineers and thing people designing a lot of the products that we use and have to touch almost lived in a vacuum <laughs> <laughs> to some extent. I'm sorry, nothing against your comment there. That's just a side note. We were talking about vacuum before this started. Yeah. And how it isn't. Yes. <laughs> and I've seen this change over my tenure in the industry where the manufacturers, whether it be tool manufacturers, equipment manufacturers, the standards committees, everybody is starting to pay more attention to the field and really looking at how things work. And I like to differentiate between the theoretical and the real world. And that has ramped up a lot. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are really helping push that forward. But you're absolutely right. Brian has done a fantastic job of helping to make that happen. And even this year, just another comment along those lines, Dirk Nauman and his HVACR simulator, which was at the HVAC school booth at the conference. And if you aren't familiar with it, I'm sure you can find resources or I'll put something in the show notes. HVACsimulator.com, I believe, is their website, I think. Yeah. There's a controls technician who invented a training aid that's both physical and digital, right? Yeah, they've got a physical side and a digital side to them. So you can do the exercises either way. But what it's designed to do, and I'll give a little history on that because Dirk sent me one of his prototypes early on that I got to test out before it ever went to market a few years back. and it's designed to teach people basic troubleshooting processes where we're looking at something and it also designed to teach basic wiring diagram reading because that's two of the things that Dirk and he works for a distributor and does technical support all the time. That's two of the biggest problems that he sees people having. So he had this idea and he put an invention out there and I think it's going to be a really, really great thing. Very cool. That brings me to another one more on this topic, the Supco Trade Fox program. And one of our friends recently had his idea come to fruition. Yeah, Chris Hughes. You want to talk about the product he designed for them? Yeah, he came up with an idea for a, it's a cover that goes on the end of a bare line set to be able to flow nitrogen through it. And it's just a stepped cover with a quarter inch flare fitting on the end. So you can hook a regular hose up to it. And then in each step, and I forget, I think it goes up to seven eighths. If when I was looking at it, refrigeration tubing, but each step has an O-ring in there to where it will just slide over the outside of the pipe and fit snugly for purging nitrogen through while we're brazing. Cause that's often a challenge. And a lot of us have used maybe a, lot of electrical tape and shoving a hose in the end, or unfortunately, some people just use nothing at all at a lot of points. But I think it's a really nice, useful tool for those times where you don't have a complete line set, or you're trying to do some maybe assembly somewhere, somehow before everything is all connected to that line set. Yep. And Diverse Tech has a similar program, Trade Inventor or something. 
I think they do. I'm not 100% familiar with that. I was really interested to hear some of the people's stories from Subco that had, I guess, turned in their ideas or provided them their ideas. And they were very complimentary of Subco on that regard. So I was excited to learn that. I really didn't know much about the program other than hearing the name of it. And we support that program and the contractors by, on the Subco brand category, we have the Trade Fox items segregated to showcase them separately in a category. So I'll put a link for that in the show notes too. Cool. So let's get on some products. How many booths do you think you visited? A lot and yet not nearly as many as I normally do. Why was that? The same for me. Why was that? This was a little bit different show. I mean, True Tech had, we had a record number of people there, if I recall what you and Eric said to me there. Guys, we had six people there. I did not get a chance to walk the show floor. And a lot of times what I will do at those shows is I start on one end and I just start walking up and down aisles and I look for something that catches my eye. I'll stop. I'll get information. I'll look at it, find out some more about it and then keep walking. And I usually try to do that early in the show. And then I will come back later if I want more information or set up a meeting or something like that later on in the show. So you're in scan mode? Pretty much, yeah. That's what I used to do. That was my typical mode, scan mode. And then just like you're walking by and something triggers in your head and you put on the brakes, you turn around. That's when I saw those Trump products. Yeah, those were pretty cool. I have to see what happens with those. Just give quick through the name out there. What's the nature of the product? So it's Trumpf, it's T-R-U-M-P-F, and they're a German-made metalworking tool. Very interesting, very high quality from what I saw of them. I went back and looked at them for a little while. They had handheld cutting tools that would go, I think, up to three-eighths of an inch steel and all the way down to really thin sheet metal. All kinds of different methods for cutting and shearing and hole cutting, cutting Lots of different stuff for metal working. Some of it was plug-in corded, but all handheld, and uh, most of it's battery operated. The thing that really intrigued me about them, though, when I sat there and talked to them, is that they are part of a battery consortium. This is a problem that we see with the cordless tools out there today, is everybody has a proprietary connector. So what they did, they used to have a proprietary connector and they realized that, hey, they're not in the business of making batteries. They don't want to do all this stuff. All they want to do is make tools and have a battery to run their tool. So they joined this battery group that sets a standard connector. They set a standard for the batteries. And then there's 38 different manufacturers, they said, that belong to this group. And all of the tools from all these manufacturers fit and use this same battery type. So no matter what you have, you just go buy your favorite tool or whatever works best on that job for you. And then you grab your battery that fits all of these tools. And from what I gathered, it's a lot more common and popular in Europe than it is in the United States right now. Isn't Apple being driven for a common connector because of European regulation? Yeah. So that was Europe introduced that regulation for smartphones to have a common charging type. And I think they've landed on the USB-C style. To eliminate connectors, power supplies, just excess duplication when you really don't need to. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting because as we've learned, there's a few tools that we have on our website that require, even though it's a USB-C style, it doesn't charge with just anybody's charger. You have to have that specific charger. I know one of the thermal cameras we have, and I want to say one of the combustion analyzers. It's probably current rating of the power block. I don't know if it's current rating or what it is that makes a difference, but I need to dig into it more and find out because I want to learn more about that and why that is. Because one of our contractors called up and, or actually messaged me and he's like, why won't this thing charge? I'm just, I'm using a USB-C charger. And it turns out there's two different batteries in that combustion analyzer. It only charges one of them when you plug it into a generic USB-C, if you plug it into theirs, then it charges both of them. Interesting. It's like EVs still have electronic batteries. Yeah, you still have to have a small battery to run the electronics, and then you have your gas tank replacement battery that runs the motors. We had a like moment of discovery, I think, perhaps for you at the Refco booth. Want to talk about that? Yeah, so I'm not giving you a chance to drink. You want to drink this bottle of sparkling water, just to clear your pipes, because I'm like nailing you. So go ahead, take a drink. It's a bottle of real sugar Coca-Cola. I limit myself to one a day. One soda a day is my limit, and some days I don't even drink that. But I much prefer the taste of the real sugar as opposed to the, some of the fake sugars that are out there. It's completely different. But yeah, so we stopped by the Refco booth and saw a couple products that I want to highlight in the future and really show people a little bit more about but one of them was their inverter checker tool, which I think is going to be a very, very valuable tool for a lot of technicians coming out with all the inverters that are coming out into the field. I've seen it, but I've never used one personally. So I've got to get that in my hands and work with one a little bit more. And then we're going to do some information on that. But their condensate pumps for mini splits was one of the things that I was really excited about because they make a very quiet condensate pump that can either go inside or on the bottom of a wall mount ductless split system. And we've got both of those on TrueTech website and they're pretty nice looking pumps. They do a lot of stuff, a lot more stuff than I realized. Yeah, the 65 foot lift to me was pretty impressive. Yeah, a 65-foot lift on a pump is pretty darn good, and they look like a really nice pump. And 11 GPH, and also settable, too. Yeah, it was. you could adjust the settings on them because they said the one thing that they do get is if they have a really high pumping rate, you get a little bit of a suction noise or a noise at the end of it. Steve did the imitation. I should have recorded him when he said that. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard it personally. The slurp kind of thing. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a little Swiss accent in the end there. A little bit of a slurp at the end. If you suck the reservoir dry, basically, you're just getting that last little bit of water out of it. Kind of like the slurp on a straw at the end of a milkshake. Yeah. So those were really neat, but you can adjust the speed of that pump. or It really adjusts the speed of the motor, but it adjusts the gallon per hour, the gallon per minute, however your rating is on those. I think those are done in gallon per hour, if I remember right. One thing I noticed walking around is I saw a MeasureQuick banner. Saw no MeasureQuick booth, but I saw a MeasureQuick banner at a couple of booths. Did you see those? There were a few MeasureQuick banners around. Where did you see them? Well, I saw one. First one I saw was actually the first place I stopped walking in the hall on the first day was at the Sourman booth. Interesting. So Sourman now is integrated with MeasureQuick, yeah? 
Sourman Combustion Analyzers now integrated with MeasureQuick. Sourman Combustion Analyzers. That's very nice. I'm impressed with the Sourman line of analyzers. They, I think they make a really good tool. Yeah. Did you see the other one? The other one that I saw was at JB. That's it. And that's an exciting, I think, a change there, uh, update to the industry because JB is coming out with some more tools and they're bringing out a, a line of probes which they have not previously had before, in my understanding. Did you get a chance to handle the probes? See any different features on them? I got a few of them in my hands. I think only two of them are in production right now. But the biggest feature I noticed on them is they actually have a display on the probe. And a really nice, it's actually a color display on the probe. And I was surprised by the quality of that display. And in actually talking with Joe Medosh from MeasureQuick, they're going to be able to have two-way communication between measure quick and the probe it's not just a one-way communication from the probe into measure quick measure quick is actually going to be able to send information back to that screen on the probe so that you can get immediate information on that screen out of measure quick and i don't know for what yet but you're going to be able to get some information there like if you want to have like a real-time superheat reading on that screen or something like that is my understanding oh wow so it'll put together a combination measurement in the probe. To me, my immediate thought on that was, and their refrigerant probes are a little bit different than a lot of them we have in as they have a charging port built into the probe. So all you have to do is connect a hose onto the charging port from your tank. You don't have to carry a separate T, which I like. But my thought is if you're sitting there charging this and you're charging to a subcooling reading, now you don't have to have your phone or your tablet out and try to look at that tablet screen. You can actually set your probe there in front of you and look at that screen on the probe if it's convenient or easy to see to be able to do your charging rather than trying to run a tablet, running the battery dead on the tablet because you're running the screen or trying to see it in bright sunshine or something like that. Obviously, I haven't had these new probes in sunshine yet to see how the screens respond to that. And that's not a question I asked. But we'll have to see how it turns out. But I'm excited to see them get into the marketplace because I think there's room for some more probes in the marketplace right now. And they're also, of course, going to have a hygrometer probe with temperature and humidity in it. And I think I even saw a vacuum gauge laying there. So they're going to have a wireless vacuum gauge. But I don't know if that will integrate measure quick or not. Got it. I've been prompting you with observations. Anything you want to make on your own here? Any I was just looking around. I thought it was a very well-attended show. I didn't actually look at the official show numbers, but I'll say it was probably closer to pre-pandemic numbers. I did see a good number of technicians running around, which I'm happy to see in those shows because that gives the technicians a chance to maybe look at new products or upcoming products before they actually have to get their hands on them and talk to some of the manufacturers. Now, historically, a lot of the manufacturers typically bring salespeople to these shows. They don't bring their technical people, by and large. There's a few exceptions to that rule. Because normally this is a show for, in historical times, this is more of a show for engineers and business owners and things like that, where they just want to come see the new products, but not really get into the meat and potatoes of them. And I think it's encouraging, and I would encourage manufacturers to bring some of their technical people to these shows 
maybe some of the design engineers, maybe a technical person or two. You don't have to bring a whole team, but bring one or two, maybe a product lead or something like that, that can talk a little bit more technical with the technicians running around and answer their more detailed questions and receive feedback from them. And even thought occurs to me, maybe in a more structured format, like the conference itself offering a town hall of some type where the manufacturers and the contractors can actually come to a specific time where the manufacturers could meet and rather the contractor wandering by actually come to meet them at a specific place and time. That would be interesting. I really enjoy just the pop-up conversations, I guess is a good way to term that because I honestly get a lot more out of them. And I think in general, especially technicians, they feel a lot more relaxed in those settings as opposed to going to a really organized event. That's true. Most of technicians coming from a technical technician background like I have, it's a lot harder to walk into a room full of engineers and people like that and think that we have a say-so because of, and I'm just going to say the way that we've been taught to perceive ourselves as technicians a lot over the years. Now, there are some exceptions that people will walk in and have a voice like that, but it takes a little bit to get that. And a lot of technicians that know a whole lot often won't raise their voice in situations like that. They'll sit back and They don't want to, I'm going to say, for whatever reason, look stupid, ask what dumb questions, things like that. Rock the boat or anything like that, yeah. Yeah, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to be that person. I just found a website called HVACinformed.com, and they're giving a report on the show. 486,000 square feet of exhibit space, 1,779 exhibitors, and 42,794 attendees. So that's down a little bit. We got to go to the HVAC Tactical Awards Show, which is... Good mention, yeah. Blue Collar Goes Black Tie Awards Show. It's styled a lot after the a lot of the Hollywood award shows, yeah, which is pretty neat. Ben Poole from HVAC Tactical put that together along with Lance. I'm losing Lance's last name from Solderweld. Anyways... His last name escapes me right now, but that was my first time going to that show. And that was pretty neat to see a lot of those people get awards just for trying to help the trade, for putting things out on social media, for being a mentor. Craig Migliaccio got an award. Trevor Matthews got an award. There were a lot of Canadians that got awards there. And I'm pretty sure that they think they may have slipped a little bit of maple syrup in somebody's drink at some point in time. The news report on it will say biased, eh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the joke at the show was that the A team got there. Ah, okay, right. <laughs> and it's Lance Robinson, by the way, just so Lance doesn't feel there we go. left out of this. Thank you. Yeah. That was a ton of fun, though. And unfortunately, I didn't get to meet all the people that I wanted to there. And then Rachel and I actually gave a talk at the show. That was my first time speaking at HR. Yeah, talk about that. My wife, Rachel, and I got asked by Colleen Keyworth from Women in HVACR to present at the show. And I said, do I get to pick a topic? And she said, yes. And one that's really come home personally to me, both through some friends and through my wife, is talking about women in the trades. So we did a what I would consider a troubleshooting session. We used a troubleshooting process 
to figure out the question of why aren't there more women in technical roles in the trades? Because this is a question that gets asked periodically. And I think we're actually going to reprise that on the True Tech YouTube channel at some point in time. We'll do a live webinar in that case so we get any questions live, but then we will record it and place it on the True Tech YouTube channel. Because like you said, there's a limited number of people that could have seen it, but a lot more people need to hear the message. Yeah, I agree. And I think we really tried to figure out some of the root problems and offer some potential solutions. The challenge with solving problems like that is we really haven't solved them yet, so we don't know what the solutions are. It's not like going out and testing a motor or testing a capacitor and saying, oh, yep, this is bad. If we replace this part, it'll get things back and running again. We really don't have a set of hard solutions for that, unfortunately. So some of it is a little bit challenging going forward, but I think it's definitely something worth talking about. Very good. There was also some pretty nice receptions, actually several of them, and some of them back-to-back at the Georgia Aquarium. That was an amazing place. Yes, we had back-to-back receptions one night there, and one other night we had the whole aquarium opened up to a whole bunch of people, contractors and manufacturers and distributors and all kinds of places were in there. And it was that was a lot of fun to go in and get to see that. And if anybody ever goes through Georgia, I, I would highly recommend stopping through the aquarium. It's right there in downtown Atlanta. It was actually a less than five minute walk from the convention center that you had to go out a certain door. And then it was a really short walk over there. I didn't realize how fast it was until my wife, she's a type of person that will figure those things out. (laughs) And she just got to looking around on some of the maps and says, well, this is easy. Let's walk. But yeah, they have a big tunnel where you can walk underneath the water and see a giant shark and huge rays and things and fish swimming over your head. It's got a little conveyor belt you stand on and you just ride through the tunnel. Oh, wow. And there's some questionable ductwork in there if you're like me and you look up at <laughs> ductwork in buildings. And I look up and I go, really? You guys couldn't have done a better fitting job than that? Come on. Do they paint it in blackout paint so you can't take pictures and ridicule it online? Yeah, it's all blacked out. I think inside of there, it was a really dark blue up in the ceiling. So I probably could have gotten a picture of it, but I was just like, you know what? I'll just look at it myself and talk about it later. See if you can walk through there and show me where it's at. Any other products? I mean, in general, equipment, products, something else that... There was some new stuff. See, we stopped by the NAVAC booth and got to see their new power bender. Of course, they've got a battery-operated tubing bender out now which I think is pretty cool. If you don't like squeezing a lever, I'd say it's actually probably a little bit faster, but it w- did a really nice job of bending. I was really impressed with the bends that it put in stuff. It didn't do a lot of wrinkles on the inside of the bends. In fact, none at all on the bends I saw. And it was really easy to get out because it's actually got a little lever on the side of it. So when you pull the shoe back, it actually pops the tube out of the shoe. It kicks it. Yeah, it kicks it out where normally you have to pull on that or the beat on the shoe with a hammer. And people who've used other tubing benders will know what I'm talking about. It's sometimes it's a challenge to get the shoe off the pipes. Yeah. So that was pretty exciting to see. Like I said, I didn't get around and really get to dive deep into many products at this show. We'll just have to leave that till next time. All right. Now, I got a question for you. 
you went to this standards 221? Yes. What happens in a standards committee? What do they do? And what's the purpose of it? The meetings are held throughout the course of the year. And I'm applying to join the committee. So can't hold me too responsible for what I say next. (laughs) (laughs) You're not on it yet is what you're saying. I'm not on it yet. But my observation, other standards committee, there are voting members. Some of them were sitting at the table present. Some of them were on conference call. So the standards work can continue to move forward. But they look at various changes. And I'm going to say requests for funding from within ASHRAE to do certain tests and experiments with different aspects of the standards to make sure these really are substantial. And then they also take public commentary. The standard 221 does exist, has been published. I could look it up now, but I'll put a link in the show notes. That always interests me. Like we publish these standards and then there is basically a standing committee, probably for every one of the ASHRAE standards, right? That continuously looks at that standard and says, hey, can we improve this? Can we change something? Should we change something? What's the benefit? Things like that. Is that pretty accurate? I am not going to be able to answer that totally correctly. Put him on too much of a spot. Yeah, because they don't do a standard for a standard's sake. They do a standard to make progress. Yeah, they do a standard typically when somebody sees an issue in the industry that a standard What I understand is when there's a lot of different people trying to solve the same problem in different ways, then they come together and create a standard so that there's a standardized method of doing it across the industry. And sometimes a lot of people will say, well, that's not the best way, but it's a standardized way so that we can get what is supposed to be more equal results out of everything. Yeah, consistency. And sometimes for certain things, Like I say, in order to raise the bar, you have to have a bar. Well, yeah. Sometimes we don't need to raise the bar. Sometimes we need to raise the floor. Yeah, or lower the floor. (laughs) And that's an Alex (laughs) Meanyism. Yeah, that's funny. Sometimes the bar can stay where it's at. The bar is fine. And we need to bring the bottom level up. And that makes it easier to get over the bar. But it brings everybody closer to the bar. It's amazing. Some standards that have been created that never existed before, like the ECA quality installation standard for HVAC systems. It's come together over the last probably more than 15 years, but it's something that didn't exist before that. Again, that was something where there's a lot of different people trying to do quality installations in many different ways. And it was a way to quantify it in a standardized manner so that we get repeatable results out of it. I'm going to be honest, I never really thought about that And I will probably use the term dial a chemist a lot because that's what I refer to Rachel, my wife, as because that's her trade. She works in a very, very regulated environment. And in order to have things cemented properly is very, very important. It's a huge part of her job. Understanding that process has given me a new respect for standards like that. And they just have to be well-written, in my opinion, and well-researched. I'm going to read something from the ASHRAE site, just so I don't leave people thinking like, this guy's a yoo <laughs> ASHRAE writes standards and guidelines in its fields of expertise. So by collecting members and also other members of the trade, don't have to necessarily be ASHRAE members, but can join to guide the industry and delivery of goods and services to the public. 
ASHRAE standards and guidelines include uniform methods of testing for rating purposes, describing recommended practices and designing and installing equipment, and providing other information to guide the industry. ASHRAE has some 87 active standards and guideline project committees addressing broad areas such as IAQ, thermal comfort, energy conservation of buildings, reducing refrigerant emissions, and designation and safety classification of refrigerants. That's a lot. That's a lot. And because of the formality, but there's consistency. So each standard or guideline has to have a title, a purpose, a scope, which helps limit, but also define what it's going to be working on. We'll probably be back at the standards thing again, maybe after I get actually engaged with the 221 standard too. Yeah, I would like to learn more about that because to your early point, I think contractors definitely need to have a voice on this. A lot of times we feel out here in the field like these things get pushed to us and we're like, why are you doing this? Well, getting involved in that, the contractors can understand why, but they can also say, hey, the way you're writing, that's a big problem for the way we have to do it in the field because there's something that often gets in the way of that, or here's an easier way to do it that gets the same results. Or something got missed. You didn't think about what happens when the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And one of my big goals in this industry now is to try to help to connect the HVAC and the building science worlds because they're so interconnected in systems and we don't connect them well enough in the application, in my opinion, a lot of times. Well, we'll continue to do this. Thanks for joining me today, Eric. Thanks for having me, Bill. This is a lot of fun. Okay, we'll do it again. All right, ciao. We appreciate you listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. There's other great trade-related resources and influencers out there, including HVACR School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, Home Diagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, and MeasureQuick. I also host the ResTalk podcast, where you can learn more about all the changes and manifestations in the expanding world of home energy ratings and peripheral topics. If you like what you've heard today and you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so and leave us a rating in the iOS podcast app. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach out to bill at truetechtools.com. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. In full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of True Tech. The opinions voiced are those of my guests or myself, depending on who is speaking, of course. Well, thanks for listening in on this episode, and we would like to have you back again on future episodes of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.